Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Hello and welcome to today's Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast. I'm Sean McKinley, your host, and joining me is our co-host, Joy Hensley. Hey, Joy, how are you today? Great. So excited to be back for another podcast. Yeah, and we have been enjoying each month introducing our folks to some of our favorite authors and speakers in children's ministry. We had a great interview last month with Esther Moreno and heard a lot of great feedback from everyone, didn't we? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And this month, we're super, super excited. Um, we couldn't even believe that this person agreed at first. Um, so we're pumped. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to introduce our guests for today. Uh, but I do want to share that about 15 years ago, um, I was a children's pastor at a local church and came across a book that was fairly new um, called Too Small to Ignore. And it was a book that just... Um, impacted my vision and my heart for children's ministry. And it was so uh, written so well. I actually took the book. It's one of those that I highlighted portions of it and chapters and started giving it to my pastor and to other members of the church staff. And so here, 15 years later, when we sat down and thought, who could we invite for our podcast? It was the author of that book that I wanted to invite. And as you said, we we're so surprised he said yes. <laughs> We're so thrilled to have today's special guest with us, who is Dr. Wes Stafford. So, Joy, I'm going to let you introduce our guest for today. Absolutely. Dr. Wes Stafford is President Emeritus of Compassion International, which is one of the world's largest Christian child development organizations, partnering with more than 60 denominations and 7,000 local churches to serve nearly 2 million children in 26 countries. He has worked both overseas and in leadership positions at ministry headquarters for four decades and served as president and CEO of Compassion International for 20 years. He is the author of Too Small to Ignore, Why the Least of These Matter Most, in Just a Minute. In the heart of a child, one moment can last forever. And he's also the host of the radio feature, Speak Up with Compassion. Wes is an internationally recognized advocate for children in poverty, speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Wes's life experiences uniquely prepared him for this role. While he earned undergraduate degrees from Moody Bible Institute and Biola University and a master's degree from Wheaton College, as well as a PhD from Michigan State University, Wes often says, everything I really need to know to lead a multinational organization I learned from the poor while growing up in an African village. Wes has been awarded honorary doctorate degrees from Biola University, Trinity International University, Asbury University, Colorado Christian University, and Lancaster Bible College. He is a veteran having served for four years in the U.S. Army as a linguist in military intelligence. As an avid outdoorsman, Wes lives on a small ranch in Colorado with Donna, his wife of 37 years, who was a compassion sponsor even before she met Wes. They have two daughters, Jenny and Katie, the two children in the world for whom Wes is the greatest advocate of all. Thank you, Wes, so much for joining us today. Thank you, Joey. That scared me. My life flashed before my eyes right there. 
that's supposed to happen just before you die, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, Wes, we were so impressed We, uh, when we read through your bio and all that uh, God has accomplished through you. And so we, we are really grateful that you're here today. And, and thank you for really a lifetime now of, of speaking up on behalf of children and in, now encouraging so many in the kingdom to invest in kids. So we're just really glad to have you here today. Yeah, it's, it's my joy, Sean. Thank you. Well, uh, Wes, we've been talking over the last few months um, as we've brought people into the podcast. One of the things that we've really focused on is this idea of calling and, and what God has called us to do and our passion to pursue calling. So we really wanted to just begin today by asking you when you knew that God was calling you to, to be an advocate for children and maybe how you began to shift your thinking in that direction. <laughs> well, it's a good question. And I've never met anybody uh, who pours themselves into children who don't have a pretty good story, a calling of why they do that. It's not easy work, and it doesn't get a lot of applause. And <laughs> so you've got to many times go back to your roots of why, why am I doing this? For me, it goes back to that African village that Joy talked about a minute ago. I grew up in this tiny little village off the Sahara Desert in West Africa. It was a village, uh, a poverty-stricken village, very poor people, but they had the value in that village. Uh, and it was a proverb that, uh, that they lived by. And it was, um, it takes a whole village to raise the child. Now, this wasn't a plaque on the wall somewhere. This is actually how they lived life. Every child belonged to every grown-up. And my sister and I were the only white children uh, in that part of West Africa for 100 miles or so. And it didn't matter to them that the color of my skin was the wrong color. I was their little boy. And so uh, I never fell down in that village without some African woman, you know, swooping in, picking me up, drying my tears. I didn't get away with a lot of no-nos because I had all of these grown-ups who thought I was their kid. And they were determined to raise a good African kid. So for 15 years, that's where my life started, in the bosom of an African village where children mattered. I, yeah, um, so they, they shaped not only my skills, uh, but they shaped my heart. By the time I was 15 years old, I was a fully trained peasant farmer <laughs> who, could have, uh, who could have raised a family on the Sahara Desert. But they taught me my values uh, everything, everything I needed to know to ever lead compassion, I learned from these people. Uh, but since we were poor, poverty was there, and uh, it was cruel and it was awful. And in the 15 years of my, of my life, 50% uh, of the children in my life died. I mean, they died every few days, and we buried them the same day they died because we had no electricity, no way to embalm them. And we celebrated their lives around the campfire. And I listened to these wonderful stories of these wonderful kids who were far better people than I am. And I would cry myself to sleep. Finally, I'm 15 years old. Half of my childhood friends have died. And I figure that's how it is all over the world. Surely this is the whole world. Um, finally, at age 15, and this is where the Too Small to Ignore book begins, Sean, is my first day in America at age 15, and it was New York City. And I went from this little desert village to Manhattan. 
And I remember vividly walking that first day into a grocery store, the first one I'd ever seen, and seeing all of this food. And next door was a pharmacy and all of this medicine. And it hit me all of a sudden, nobody in my village needed to die. There is plenty of food and there is plenty of medicine. And I went into a heartbroken rage that lasted really through my high school years in America. Once I had lived in America for a while, originally I thought, these people have all of this food and all this medicine and they don't care. What's wrong with them? But after I lived in America for a while, I discovered, you know, you're really wrong, Wes. These people are wonderful people. They are very generous people. Uh, the issue isn't that they don't care. The issue is they don't know. And as I began to look at American children, I began to realize what the children in my village had was love, joy, hope, solid village backup, uh, but no food and no medicine. And here were these American children who had food and medicine, but they needed love and hope and joy. And it occurred to me uh, about the age before I was out of high school that somehow my life had had has to bridge these two worlds. I know what goes on in the heart of the children in poverty. And I know what goes on in the heart of children in America. Truth is, they need each other. Their parents need each other. And I realized at that point, my life has got to be a bridge. I will speak up mm. for children. I will fight poverty. I will fight abuse. And I don't know what that looks like, uh, but that is my calling. And now, you know, 50 years later, I go back to that every once in a while. And I say, I know exactly who I am. This is why when I get an invitation to be on your podcast, I'm like, of course, I'll be on that. That's exactly my calling. Um, yep. You just mentioned recently how you were exposed to seeing abuse and neglect. And in your book, um, you talked about how as a child, you experienced your own forms of abuse and neglect when you were sent to a boarding school. And when you were there, you were silenced about your experiences. Um, so my next question for you is, how do you think the church can affirm children to speak up and speak out when they are being silenced? Well, uh, again, that's in the uh, Too Small to Ignore book, but nine months out of each year, I wasn't in the bosom of that village. I was at boarding school 900 miles away from mom and dad. And uh, it, was a, it was a very harsh, pretty awful place. There were only about 50 of us. Uh, children there. Uh, the people who were responsible for us uh, were people who went to Africa to be missionaries. They didn't go there to take care of children, but they didn't learn the language or they didn't get along socially or cross-culturally. And so instead of being fired, they were given the lowest priority job you could be given. And that was go and take care of other missionaries' children. So what happened is um, they weren't called to work with children. They didn't want to work with children. They weren't taught to work with children and nobody held them accountable for how they worked with children. And the reason us children were silent is those people warned us, if you tell your parents what happens to you up here and what happened up here was spiritual and physical and social and sexual abuse. They warned us, if you tell, you will ruin your parents' ministry and there will be Africans in hell because of you. Well, 50 of us children never told. We carried that burden because we loved our villages. 
and we carry that burden in our own hearts. Now, here is what, what I realized. When children are considered unimportant, when they are a second-rate mandate, terrible things can happen. Now, they don't have to be as terrible as what I went through, but when a church has its priorities upside down and it's all about grown-ups and it's about missions way over there, meanwhile, children are running all around their churches. They're looking for vacation Bible school workers. They're looking for Sunday school teachers. When a church doesn't understand the strategic importance of the children's ministry that God has called them to do, everybody called to do, uh, then really horrible things uh, can happen. So one of the things I try to do as I'm out speaking is I try to I try to awaken church leaders. I try to awaken mission uh, executives to the strategic importance of ministry to children. <laughs> it's so funny sometimes because when I stand up to speak at a conference and they see my topic is children, they don't expect that from a man, first of all. <laughs> and I can I can see from their body language, you know, they're sitting in their chairs like this, these pastors, and they're like, we're going to talk about what? Children? What don't I know about children? And uh, to, uh, to to awaken them, I say, um, well, let's, let's just do a little research. Uh, how many of you have ever been a child? <laughs> and they sheepishly put their hands up. Well, I guess I was one. And I tell them everybody I've ever met either is a child or was a child. So nobody can say, I don't understand them. I'm not comfortable around them. They're not important to me. You did nothing for 18 years except be a child. You know everything you need to know. And so my passion is to awaken churches to the importance of uh, of, of children's ministry. Those who work with children uh, rarely get honored. Children don't give honorary plaques. They don't, they don't applaud. And so my, my challenge is to awaken to churches. They are right there in front of you. That is your village. Yes, mm -hmm. that's Jerusalem. You're to be, make disciples. Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Well, I, my life is, goes to both ends of that extreme. Sure. And I also appreciate, Wes, that I've heard you share before about this idea of the, the sin of omission and how yeah. um, we will pay a price uh, one way or another if we, if we serve children in our churches or if we don't, if we reach them or if we don't, uh, and that there, there are Abund there's an abundance of children around us if we will just look. And so there's a great potential in harvest out there. And I love how you, you often tell us there is a great price that will be paid if we do not give attention to the needs of the children around us. We have to understand uh, the strategic importance of children. It's easy because they can't speak up for themselves. You know, they don't vote. They don't have any money to put in the offering. Uh, and if, even if they do, it's not enough to shift the priorities of the church. Um, they're unorganized. They're not politically savvy. And here's the, what you're referring to, Sean, is it just breaks my heart. Because they can't speak for themselves, all of the evils of the world spiral downward onto their little heads, whether it's a village in Africa or in the United States. Sure enough, in Africa, if there's, if there's famine, uh, adults get hungry, but children starve. Right. And it's the same thing with disease. Adults get sick with children. But over on this side of the equation, it's the same thing. So it's the sins of commission, doing the things that we know we should not do. Right. 
Right. And the sins of omission, not doing the things that we know we should do. And we are mm -hmm. held accountable for both of these. That's why Jesus said so clearly, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you did right. it for me. Right. I don't think you get any closer to the heart of God or any closer to the priorities of the kingdom of God than when you reach out and bless a child. Absolutely. And I can hear all of our listeners in the future giving you a rousing amen to that. Um, I, I wrote down a quote that you shared somewhere that I heard you speak. And you said, if, if we understood the heart of God and priorities of the kingdom, people would be lining up references and resumes in hand to make a case why they ought to be able to take care of the little ones in the nursery during the worship service. And, and that is so true. And that's, of course, our heart here at this ministry as well. But one of the one of your quotes, um, and I, I can't remember, I think this is from Too Small to Ignore, I'm pretty sure, is a favorite quote of mine, um, that every child is a divine appointment. And uh, as I travel the world and meet children all over the world, uh, I always keep that quote in mind. As a matter of fact, I've, I've gotten quite a reputation of posting pictures with children around the world with, with your quote, uh, because I believe that is so powerful and so simple. Uh, but for those of us who do work with children uh, and lead our children's ministry teams, that's, ma that's mainly who's listening today, um, how do you think that we can communicate this truth to our churches and to those who we serve with our ministries? Uh, how do we communicate uh, that, that children, the importance of children, the importance of them to the kingdom, and the importance that God places on them? Well, first of all, I would, I would say way to go, Sean. Uh, because we need to be alert to that. If you, oops, someone had my watch on, but if I had my watch, you would see that here I am. I wear a Mickey Mouse watch. And the reason I wear a Mickey Mouse watch is first of all, children all across the world recognize Mickey. Uh, but whenever I look at my watch to see what time it is, I, I see what time it is, but then it reminds me, I'm all about children. And I stop and I breathe a prayer for children, or I look around me. And if there is a child in my vicinity, I will give them a little wave or I'll give them a compliment if I can talk to them face to face. The thing, the reason I say it's a divine appointment is that uh, it's kind of like when you see a child, uh, you should uh, you should grab your hard hat. You should grab your tool belt and your steel toed shoes because you are in a construction zone and you should ask yourself, what is God building here? What is this child going to grow up to be? And is there anything in this little brief moment I have that I can say or I can do to maybe advance to advance that cause? And the, the, the beauty of uh, the, the book, Just a Minute, is it's 68 stories of people who remember the minute when their life got launched. It's been, it's been said there's always one moment in childhood when the door opens and let's the future in. Mm. Uh, I think probably the most important thing for the church to do, this is going to sound really self-serving, is the, the, the church library or the church bookstore should have just a minute in it. Everybody mm. should understand that any child that is in your vicinity is, in fact, your uh, responsibility. Um, the book, uh, you know, the, your, your podcast listeners, this book was written for them. Uh, it, it, will, it'll, it will warm their hearts. But it is written for those who don't really believe in children yet. 
Hmm. But we all have a moment. It's rare that I can talk to even these big shots in a conference uh, that a person can't say, okay, I I get what you're saying, and I know who I owe. I asked them, who believed in you before you believed in yourself? Do you remember what they said? Do you remember what they did? And um, let me tell one quick one, since we have uh, teachers uh, listening to this. I was making this case that the spirit of a child is like wet cement. It doesn't take any time or effort to make an impression that can last forever. And I stopped and I said to this group of about 500 teachers, does this ring a bell? Does anybody have a story like that? And I'll never forget because this young man raised his hand kind of sheepishly. And he says, well, I never gave it much thought. Uh, but yeah, I think I remember. I remember the minute I decided I wanted to be a teacher. And I, I said, well, are you willing to tell us? And he said, well, okay. He said, um, you have to know me as a five-year-old. I had a terrible sense of self-worth. I was bashful. I was shy. Uh, I thought I was the stupidest child in my classroom, kindergarten. I adored my teacher, but I never raised my hand because I never knew the answers. Uh, and then one day, we were all working at our desks independently when all of a sudden I got this waft of perfume And I thought, oh, no, she's standing right behind me now. She can see my paper. She knows I don't know anything. And he says, I can remember my stomach churning in fear. But all of a sudden, I felt a little brush on my shoulder. He says, I'll never forget the color of the fingernails that came over my shoulder. And she reached down to my paper, and she put a little gold star on the corner of my paper. Mm -hmm. And she leaned down, and she whispered, my, but you're a smart little boy. I bet you would be a great teacher someday. And he said, I knew in that minute, I wanted children to to feel that. And I said, did you ever tell her about this important moment? And he said, well, no, it never occurred to me to do that. I said, do you think she even knows? And now a tear trickled down his cheek and he said, well, she does now. And we were all thinking, how does heaven work? You know, do we get to come back to the balcony and listen back in? We were all thinking this deep theological thought when he said, because she's right over there. And he pointed across the room to this silver haired little lady. And she had tears coming down her cheek. They got up. They walked to the center aisle. And a long overdue hug. And I said, you know what, guys, I'm done. Everything I wanted to tell you today happened right there. So, wow. One of the things we can do is we can stop as teachers, we can stop and say, who inspired me? Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, have you ever told them? Have you ever thanked them? And then be alert to those around you uh, that you might be able to, uh, to lift up, even if all you have is just a minute. Sure. And I love that. If an entire church understands the importance of that concept, it can transform the entire culture. Sure, sure. And I think uh, one of the things that I've heard you speak about and share again before Wes, uh, you know, a lot of people want to complicate children's ministry, but you, you remind us a lot. It really doesn't take much effort to leave an imprint in the life of a child, either good or bad. Um, but we can make these imprints that last for a lifetime, and it doesn't have to be as complicated as we like to make it sometimes. No. And when people say, I'm just not comfortable around children, I don't know children, I'm like, Shut up. You were a child for 18 years. <laughs> you know everything you need to know. You there just you need go. to remember. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's not that complicated. They're children. Come on. 
Well, many of us agree, and probably from experience too, we know that children's ministers and those who work with kids are the most overlooked and underpaid. And I can guarantee you that a lot of the people listening to this podcast would probably also be in agreement with that. Um, So what encouragement and advice would you have for those who are listening who feel the weight, the frustration, and the burden of these facts? Well, first of all, uh, you are totally wrong. Uh, you are really important. Uh, there is nothing more important going on in the church than your role. People may not recognize that. Uh, but if you look at the statistics in the world, if you look at the strategy of the power of ministry to children, and if you look at the scriptures, you understand that those of us who minister to children um, are doing the most important uh, work ultimately that needs to be done. Statistically, they are half of the people in the world. Half of our world are children. And missiologists know uh, that uh, of those who give their lives to Christ, 85% of them around the world do that while they are children between the ages of four and 14. When we understood that at Compassion, we launched the 414 window, mm-hmm. the understanding that any that, that is the prime time. Not only are they is that the time to bring them to Christ, but once they accept Christ and are discipled, now they have a whole life to, uh, to impact the kingdom. So strategically, uh, and, and I would ask anybody listening, uh, think back, how old were you when you gave your heart to Christ? 85%, if we could have, so have a show of hands, we can't on a podcast, but in a church, I will do that. And it almost always holds up. Now, here's the thing that's, if that's the case, any of us interested in bringing this world to Christ, we should be all over ministry to children strategically, right? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. it's a rare mission organization that spends more than 10% of its budget and effort on children. And it's a rare church, believe it or not, that spends more than 15% of its budget on children. I'm not a rocket scientist, but something has got to change. The thing I will tell those of you who work with children is uh, when you hear this sound, that's called applause. That's what we do when we are pleased with what someone has done. And those of us who work with children, that's a rare sound. We don't get paid very much. We rarely get uh, honors. We rarely get to hear that sound. But I'm telling you guys, you better get used to that sound because the day's going to come when you walk into heaven and you are going to hear that sound immediately. Why? Because everybody there will understand the priorities of the kingdom of God. They will understand what you were doing was so incredibly strategically important. And that sound will follow you around heaven for all of eternity. Child after child's life after life will say, I know you don't remember me, but you taught me. Jesus loves me, this I know, the most profound song in the world, and it changed my heart. Thank you. So forget about pay, you guys. We're never going to make very much money. Mm -hmm. Understand that we are heroes in the kingdom of God, which is a completely upside-down kingdom. Everything about the kingdom that we belong to is completely different from the world in which we find ourselves. I mean, we know from the scripture, the first 
are last and the last are first. We know the weak are strong and the strong are weak. We know the poor are rich often and it's the rich who are often poor. And we know that the little are big and it's the big that are often little. And it's surrender that leads to victory. And death, in fact, is triumph. Understand that this is only a campsite, guys. We're, we, we don't live here. We're only camping here. Um, soon there's going to be a trumpet blast and we will all go home where we belong. And then, oh, guys, if I could only help you to know this, then you will understand what was so important about what you were doing. And you will understand it fully at that point. Until then, by faith, stay strong. Just remind yourself of your calling and remind yourself there's nothing closer to the heart of God. Jesus said it so clearly, whatever you do for one of the least of these little ones, you did it for me. He also said, unless you change and become like a little child, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So forget about this temporal little campsite right now. Uh, where you would expect more money than you're than you're just than you're getting, and you would get more recognition and more honor. Forget it. You've got all of eternity for that. Stay faithful until that trumpet blasts. Sure, and and uh, uh, to share a quote from just a minute, there are some benefits also to working in children's ministry that go beyond the pay and and the uh, recognition that we might not be receiving. But you say it this way uh, in the conclusion of just a minute. And it says, uh, tomorrow's leaders in in whose hands the future rests will still climb into our laps today, run to our embrace, laugh at our jokes and listen to our wisdom and comfort us with tiny arms and big hugs. So there's some great byproducts there of working in children's ministry. Uh, And while we have that opportunity to make an impression on their spirits, of course, you're challenging us to embrace with passion and mission this wonderful ministry called children's ministry. So thank you for that. Um, We're we're nearing the end of our time together, Wes, but we have a couple more questions. Um, In the book, Too Small to Ignore, you talk about how we must minister to the whole child and their wondrous complexity. And many times in our churches, uh, especially, we focus on nurturing the souls of children, uh, but we often neglect um, the mind and the body. So what are some ways that you could encourage us as children's ministers to become aware of the other needs that children have in our communities? And certainly now, probably more than any time in recent history, there are so many needs around us. So how can we become aware of those needs and, and help to serve our kids and families? Yeah, well, you know, um, one of the things we do is just look at, look at what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus was here for the most profound spiritual mission you could ever have. He came to save all of humanity. Uh, but along the way, uh, it's many times without uh, moving them toward uh, the kingdom of God, he just healed them. He just fed them. He just did things uh, that weren't, you'd say, Jesus, that's outside your mission. But because he loved them so completely, uh, he met them at their point uh, of need. And, you know, the scripture says, so go into all the world, make disciples. Here at Compassion, this is, this is a key to it. Go into all the world, make disciples, teach them to observe all things I commanded you. Now, all things I commanded you, yes, it's the spiritual part. He made that very, very clear. But he also commanded us how to relate to our environment, 
how to relate to social structures, uh, how to be good students, how to be worthy workmen, uh, how to how to manage uh, money and, and 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 work. All of those things we would call well. One of them is spiritual, but they're all spiritual because they are all incorporated in what it means to disciple uh, a person or a child. So, you know, across the world within compassion, yeah, we feed, we take care because they are in a poverty setting where those things are, are necessary. We, but we stand and we rejoice when one of them accepts Christ as their Savior. In our side of the world, uh, there's not a whole lot that are hungry or, or, uh, or, or, or sick without help or care or access to food. But there are lonely children and there are abused children and there are those... Um, who are discouraged. There are those who are struggling in school. There are those who just need a hug. And so as we are passionate, the bottom line, of course, is bring them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, but along the way, love the whole uh, of the child. And there's no better way to do that than to be among them. Find ways to get among the children in your community. I think I may have said in, in Too Small to Ignore, I wish every man uh, who is the least bit athletic would, would uh, volunteer with the parks and recreation departments of their, of their towns and be a, be a soccer coach, be a, be a basketball coach, a uh, volleyball coach. Every, every town I know is begging for people to work with children in their recreation departments, women. And, and all we have to do is step in there live our lives in front of them, love them. They are all around us. Uh, we just need to be uh, aware of, of them and uh, be there with them. Mm -hmm. And while you're there, watch for those moments <laughs> when you might be able to say the right thing, do the right thing that launches right. their lives. Well, Wes, as children's ministers, a lot of times we understand the value and uh, have a theological understanding of the value of children in the kingdom of God. And as you mentioned in one of your books, God respects and believes in children. And we also see that in the Bible. So I wanted to ask you, can you share your favorite example of how that has been modeled in scripture? Oh boy. Now see, we could talk all the rest of the day on that. I love looking for the children in the Bible. And whenever you find a child in the Bible, you see God up to something pretty important. Mm -hmm. He must look and say, boy, this is huge. I need something small. And, so, you know, some of my favorites are, are little David killing Goliath. What was needed there wasn't great military might. What was needed there was faith, with, which no one in the Israeli army apparently had, including the King Saul. I love the story of little Samuel speaking into the wayward priest, Eli. God needed a strong message, and he chose a little boy. And most of us, uh, those who don't really believe in children, would think, well, it's a little child. What, can he, what message could he give? Uh, Eli, be good. God loves you. No. <laughs> God said, you know what? It's going to take a clear, pure channel to get into this priest's heart who I can no longer talk to. And he gave the message to Samuel. Essentially, Sam, Samuel said to Eli, you know what, buddy? You are fired. You and your sons are done. 
And God knew that he could entrust that message to a little boy because of the purity of the, of the channel. I love Esther who saved her people by recognizing that maybe for this moment in time, that's why she was where she was. Daniel and the lions said, okay, I'll tell you my favorite joy. The, my very favorite is the feeding of the 5,000. I love this because Jesus was busy teaching and it was important stuff. And he could have just snapped his fingers when he recognized everybody was hungry and filled their stomachs and keep on with his mission, with his calling. Uh, but he waited until a little boy came forward. And I think it is so beautiful. I think he did that miracle not to feed 5,000 people, but just for that little boy. I think he did it because a little boy comes and a grown-up, us grown-ups, we would have said, uh, well, excuse me, I'm the only Boy Scout, apparently, who's smart enough to have thought to bring his lunch. Uh, so you can have one loaf and one fish. That seems fair to me. That's grown-up thinking. But a little boy would say, Jesus, what if I gave you everything I have? All five loaves and both fish. Would that be enough? And I believe that Jesus waited for that little boy to give him everything he had and then did that miracle. And I would love to, I would love to have been at that little boy's home that night when his mom said, well, how'd you like your lunch today? He said, mom, you're not going to believe what I did with my lunch today. Jesus taught in the temple at age 12. Do you wonder if the unborn matter? We understand that the unborn John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mama's womb just to be in the presence of another embryo, Jesus, in his mother's womb. If you go through the scriptures, you can clearly see that God believes in children. He uses children, and the scriptures are riddled with that. And I say, if it's good enough for God, well, I don't know, good enough for me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wow. You know, Wes, I, uh, I appreciate every time that I hear you speak, your passion, your heart for children. Uh, it's infectious. And um, I want to thank you for just the great example that you are for so many of us and for your commitment for advocating for children. And, and in that also advocating for those of us who serve children in the church. And uh, we are just so grateful for your time today. Before we go, um, I wanted to give you a chance to maybe just talk. We've touched on the two books that you have um, authored, Just a Minute and Too Small to Ignore. So I wonder if you would just share a little bit about those books um, and maybe what inspired them or, or why they might be of interest to those who are listening today. Yep. Well, um, the Too Small to Ignore uh, started out to be kind of the story of my life. It was until I was 15. It was quite a strange place. And there's a lot of really funny stories in there, what it was like to grow up white in the midst of an absolute black uh, setting. Uh, it's an easy read, but it also tells the hardship of, uh, of, of abuse. I often get men uh, frustrated with me because they say, you know what, you should have enclosed a packet of Kleenexes with that book. I was reading it on an airplane. <laughs> And I was weeping and someone said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just reading a book. I wrote it uh, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. The other one, uh, just a minute I wrote, because it came out of that Too Small to Ignore. If you look at Too Small to Ignore, pages 9 to 11, I make the case 
that the spirit of a child is soft and moist and impressionable. I simply made that point very quickly. But after that book came out and I was autographing books after talks and such, uh, the lines got really long for autographs because that resonated with people. And I had people who said, let me tell you about my minute. And I realized, you know what, I better start collecting these stories. They are powerful stories. And so I collected the key concept and then 68 people who remember the story. Now, you can destroy the life of a child in a minute as well as you can build the life of a child. So there's the story in there of Adolf Hitler and one minute that turned him into the monster that he became. So it's an easy two or three page uh, chapters. Each one is a story. And I really, really uh, laid it out there uh, to just try to get people to, to understand the strategic importance of children. And then I wrote those two both in the context of compassion. You might say, well, if you care that much about children, so what are you doing about it? Well, for 45 years, I have poured myself into the ministry of compassion, which is doing everything in the lives of children across the world that we've been talking about on this uh, podcast. Sure. So we want to encourage everyone on the show notes for today's podcast. You can find those two titles and how to access them. Uh, again, you can get them at Amazon. Or, yeah. 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 You can order those online. I think Joy just got an extra copy here for the Office of Too Small to Ignore. So uh, the, the two books are Too Small to Ignore and Just a Minute. Uh, so you'll definitely want to check those those two books out. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I want to say before we end, uh Wes is not here to do a promo for Compassion International, but um, our ministries have certainly been blessed to partner with Compassion. Uh, many of those who are listening have been a part of what we've called Project Build a School, building uh, centers for learning in El Salvador, where actually the, the outreach work of Compassion and really the holistic ministry of, of serving kids in every area, not just with the gospel, but with provision, with tutoring, with sports and activities. Um, so much of that is only possible through our partnership with um, Compassion International and their partners. And so, uh, if you are if you are listening and you've been a part of Project Build a School, we want you to uh, we want to encourage you um, to especially get these two books. Which uh, Wes, as I understand, the, the profits from those books actually go to support Compassion International. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. All right. Great. So not only will you get the great books, but you'll also support a great ministry that we've been talking about a lot over the last year and been privileged to partner with. Well, Wes, I really want to thank you for your time today. Uh, this has been a, a real treat to talk to a hero of ours. Uh, and we are so thankful. <laughs> in the book, you in uh, Too Small to Ignore, you talk about how we really are all just kind of a small pebble in the pond of a child's life but that that pebble tossed into that pond can really send out ripples. And so um, we are so thankful for the significant ripples that you've made for the kingdom and how you've invested in us today. Well, thank you, Sean. And thank you, Joy. It's been, it's been a privilege. Uh, anytime I can sit and talk with people who see the kingdom the way I do, who love and believe in children, it's a great honor for me. So thank you for the invitation. For listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org/children.